Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Pat TDS of Trickle Down Socialism. On the show, we recap 2023 and look towards 2024. This will be my last show of the year, so thanks to everyone for the support and for listening. I'll see you all in 2024, so allow me to be the first to wish you a happy new year. Solidarity forever. December 2023, the last month of 2023. We're about to uh, start a new chapter. 2024 is upon us, less than a month away. Welcome. Thanks. It's always good to be here. It's always good to see you. Uh, and yeah, it is, uh, it's been kind of a wacky year, so uh, it does feel weird bringing it to a close. doesn't even feel like it means that much at this stage, but yeah, let's, uh, let's talk, talk about it. Does time go faster? That's one uh, maybe myth or something that I've heard in urban. What do they call it? Uh, they call it. Um, what do they call it? Uh, cult folk. They call it folk psychology or a myth or something like that. The time, uh, your perception of time seems to speed up as you age. Do you find that true? Is time going faster for you now that you're? Uh, what are you, you're, you're 40 now? You're 40 years old? Yeah, you just had to throw that out there, right? Like I was I was finally coming to a place of acceptance around the fact that I was 40 and then you put me on blast. Yeah. But um, I don't know, it's interesting. Time definitely moves um, at different paces at different stages. But um, yeah, it's so hard at this stage with this many small children that sometimes it feels like it's crawling. But um, it's also like in retrospect with each kid, it feels like it's been just the blink of an eye that they were babies. And now they're, you know, whether it's nine or seven or whatever. So before uh, we get into it, my thought was this is going to be my last show of 2023. My first season, Necessary Illusions. I'm going to I'm going to kind of. Organized the show uh, starting in 2024 as uh, season two. So this is the last episode of season one, my first season, uh, my first ever podcast. Uh, so my thought for today, I wrote down a bunch of things that happened in 2023. Perhaps we could do a year in review and look also into 2024. It's an election year, uh, the quadrennial extravaganza. If you can believe what they're saying in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, this is another big election, maybe the biggest in our lifetimes, right? Every election is the biggest in our lifetime. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be a Biden-Trump rematch. Uh, I just looked at 538. Trump has a two-point lead over Biden. I've seen it as high as uh, eight points back in November. And actually, it looks like um, Nikki Haley 
in November 29, they, they uh, faced Nikki Haley up against uh, Biden, and she actually had a 17-point uh, lead. So I think kind of the American voter wants anybody but Trump and Biden, but it seems like Trump's probably going to come out of the Republican Party. Biden, you know, I don't think anyone's going to challenge him in the Democratic Party, although they should. But that's what it looks like uh, 2024 is shaping up as. So maybe we can look into 2024, talk about the election a little bit. I uh, just went over some of the 538 numbers uh, on the percentages and whatnot. But before we get into it, a year in review and look into next year, we talked a little bit about on the uh, pre-call, you're in education. There's a lot of violence and fighting, you know, kids, you know, testosterone, hormones, all sorts of things going on in the schools. Uh, it can be definitely challenging um, sometimes even have to restrain students, uh, in, you know, as your role as an ed- educator and as a teacher. Um, so we talked about that a little bit in the pre-call. Maybe you can talk about some of the things that you're doing or some of the things you've seen. But generally, what do you think about cops in schools? Um, generally, uh, you know, having them in schools, is that, a, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Should they be in school or should they not? Yeah, so my position um, as an abolitionist is always that they should not be involved. Um, but especially in schools, it, I've taught in some pretty really uh, you know rough schools at, as compared to others in the state. And they um, the, the the school resource officers were there, and they were they tried pretty hard to form a connection with kids. Like they weren't you know totally shut off from the student population. But what I noticed was our most traumatized students had always uh, experienced police in their most traumatizing moments of their lives. So they were never calmed um, when they were you know, in a bad situation and the school resource officer approached them. It always escalated them. Um, and I saw it end in restraints or other you know, arrests often because these were high school age kids. Um, and it just felt, you know, after that, as we moved into like the George Floyd era and people started to really look at the institution of police and their roots as slave patrols um, or strike breakers or personal, you know, protectors of, of wealth, uh, it became, you know, clearer and clearer to educators unions like Boston Teachers Union, for instance, that we needed to push uh, as hard as we could every contract time um, and talk about it with parents uh, that it was an appropriate move to get cops out. And you also mentioned social workers and like we're doing that in my current school where social workers are kind of the patrol force that goes around and talks to kids when there's a situation. And in my opinion, it works better than having uh, an in-house school resource officer. So I think it's not only, you know, a waste of resources, it's a unnecessary authoritarian attempt to like regain some control of the student population. And it, it just doesn't work. It's not nearly as uh, effective as using social workers and other people trained in the art of talking to kids. Like that's where it's at, right? It's just about communication um, and showing kids that you care enough to show up. Um, And usually over and over again, is how you win kids who have been traumatized, right? It's like you show up consistently with a consistent reaction and you're going to gain their trust. You're not going to get that trust from a cop that's, you know, paid to just be, this is their beat. You know, it's not, that's not how that works. Yeah. I don't think uh, armed officers have any role in school. Uh, I don't think they should be there. I think their number one tool in the toolbox is violence. They use violence, uh, overutilization of violence for sure. I think social workers are some of the most important Uh, professionals in our society. They are um, extremely important to the uh, social fibers, to our fetters, 
to our communities. I think that their role should be expanded. I think they're underpaid, underappreciated, and extremely value. I've worked with social workers. I am in healthcare, and I think that those people do amazing things, and I'd love to see their roles expanded. I'd love to see them, you know, be paid a living wage, or at least paid what, they're, what they deserve, um, because they do a lot of great things. And I don't think they get as much recognition as maybe sometimes um, doctors or nurses do uh, in, in, in healthcare, and uh, they wear a lot of different hats. So, uh, well, I someone think- who's married as someone who's married to a licensed clinical social worker, um, I will also say they are high, more highly credentialed. Like they go through a more rigorous academic process than a lot of other professions. So um, they don't necessarily get that that rep in society at large, but to have a social work degree, you have to do some, there's some doing there. There's, it's hard work. They're highly educated. They're highly skilled uh, and they're underutilized and definitely underpaid for all the things that they have to deal with and put up with for sure. So anyways, oh, abolitionist. abolitionist. So I'm an anarcho-syndicalist. I'm an anarchist. I'd like to put most uh, things up for vote majority rules. So I'm definitely in favor of defunding the police, defunding the military, def, uh, you know, dismantling um, the state's ability to carry out violence against the, the domestic population, as well as carry out international violence and imperialism abroad. Um, but you know, as it comes to abolitionists, I'm not so sure I want to get rid of police completely. Although I'm open to it, but I think you know, communities, um, you know, I think it should be put up to a vote. And I think that the members of the community, if there are going to be a police force, I think there should be community oversight. Uh, there shouldn't be this internal investigation when it's thought that, uh, you know, maybe a, a police officer commits a crime. You know, I, I don't think that that's right at all. It'd be like, uh, you know, I guess the Supreme Court, uh, you know, kind of looking in and um, policing themselves. Oh, wait, they do. <laughs> actually, that's actually how it functions. Anyways. I'll get to the Supreme Court in the future. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of defunding the police. I, I'm definitely open to uh, abolishing it, too. But I want I want the community to vote on it and uh, put it up for majority rules. And then whatever the community decides upon, that's how we will kind of you know manage the police force. But I think it certainly should be defunded. And uh, we'll leave it up to the local communities if they want to get rid of it entirely. But you're an abolitionist. Do you want to get rid of police entirely, completely get rid of them? Well, I mean, it's more of an aspirational idea in the sense that, like, logistically, in order to put the systems in place that you need to, to have a world without prisons or even a society or a city or a town without prisons, is it's you, you have to put in a whole lot of investment that, you know, it's, it's the right move, right? So we're talking about social workers instead of cops on a beat, right? We're talking about resources in place to help people. Uh, when they suffer from societal ills. We're talking about social safety net that uh, supports people enough to live a comfortable life and seek, you know, self-improvement when they're stuck in a rut, you know, so that we don't have people who end up being wage slaves, right? So this is like thinking about a society, right? But then there's the other piece, which is the historical use of prisons in the United States is something like the world's not really seen. You know, the way that we have... 4% of the world's total human population, but 25% of the world's prisoners, right? We're, we're locking people up at an astronomical rates and it's, it's slowed as attention has been put on the situation and certain people have gotten in place in power who understand 
that you're not going to like put people in prison and fix societal problems. Mass like, incarceration not... is actually on the rise again. It slowed down during COVID, but now it's back on the rise again. So I think we can have a police force or security force to protect local communities. Uh, and I think we can have them without um, jails, prisons for sure. Uh, or I'm in favor of defunding both or maybe even getting rid of both entirely. Again, I'd leave it up to the local communities. I don't want big, powerful central governments. But, yeah, I, mean, I think it's two different questions. Do we defund the police? Do we abolish the police? What about prisons? And I certainly think we should defund prisons. I think we should, um, you know, I think, I think a civilized society is a society with laws that are less harsh. Um, I'm not in favor of the death penalty. I'm not in favor of life sentences. I'm in favor of rehabilitation. I oppose solitary confinement and obviously torture. I'm in favor of getting rid of Guantanamo Bay and returning it to Cuba. Um, but uh, yeah, I think those are all great questions and I think long-term views of society. I don't think America is getting rid of cops or prisons anytime soon. Probably not in my lifetime or the lifetime of your children. But I think it's good to have long-term views for society. And I think both of those, um, you know, in the long run might be a great thing for people at large, the general population, and not just for elites. Because I think, generally speaking, cops protect property, wealth, and power. Uh, they are um, they are the uh, essentially the, you know, the, the security force uh the, the domestic <laughs> violence uh, ability for the you know ruling class to carry out their agenda, uh, and they are typically class traitors, as you mentioned before, because they're the ones typically breaking up um, resistance movements, protests, uh, labor uh, activism, uh, organization um, strikes, all that kind of stuff. Historically, uh, the, the cops are class traitors, uh, and they are. Uh, you know, very loyal servants to the ruling class uh, in, the, in the United States and, you know, the, the uh, police uh, internationally, too. I mean, obviously, we're not the only society with police, uh, but I think a little bit, uh, at least in Europe, for sure, their ability to carry out violence um, against the domestic population is a lot more limited and more maybe industrialized societies, especially um, you know, more left-leaning societies like some of the um, ones in Europe, like Norway and Canada. Uh, our police are very militarized. Um, guns, weapons, machine guns, you know, bombs, tanks I've seen. I mean, just all sorts of uh, – and they're militarized. They're, they're essentially uh, the domestic wing of the military-industrial complex. Yeah, but they're also empowered to make arrests based on Jim, the Jim Crow South, right? So like arrests like loitering or camping often in towns. Is, it, these are all vagrancy laws that were created to re-enslave black people after the, the you know abolition of slavery and the enactment of the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, right? So these are, these are like we, they have – they're empowered with tools that countries like that you mentioned, you know – Norway, whatever, in Europe, you want to talk about it, they're, they're, they're not given the same level of power and they're not given the same like types of laws that are designed, you know, to brutalize the poor and to like, to churn the poor, like in a way that it just is so debilitating, right? Your, your, your future and your ability to do anything to like affect your own reality is so narrowed by and by each contact you make with the criminal justice system, right? So once that contact becomes more frequent, your your life, your shot at making a difference or making making it, it just is so so very limited. And, and the system just, is designed to keep you in it with, with like probation right. and meetings with yeah. judges, and then you know the cost of all yeah. that process. You have to pay for that, right? And so if you don't pay for that, you go back, 
and that's it's just designed as a drug, modern day form of slavery. Drug tests, halfway houses, and yeah, you might spend a decade or so behind bars, and then basically you get a couple bucks in your pocket to start your life again. Good luck, you know. There's no safety nets or um, you know well, social fabric of. You, wait, know, you have to you have to pay for the monitoring system that that they monitor you with. So if you can't keep a job, keep a roof over your head, meet regularly with your PO, and pay a certain amount which is pretty costly when you think about someone just trying to start out, then you end up going back. It's just so shitty, so bad. And we haven't even talked about the private prisons industrial complex. Um, no, we haven't. And, uh, but you know, with it, go ahead, go ahead. With the year in review, just like, what are some other like events oh, yeah. that, me, that pop up to you? Let's get to the year in review here, pal. Come on, you're sidetracking. Because no, so I do feel honored to be the last, you know, person on this first season of, of your uh, of an MC Squares, you know, Necessary Illusions podcast. It's been been a pretty fun process being kind of involved as you've moved along through the process of interviewing a, a bunch of really cool people and kind of honed that that ability. Trying to work on it, trying to get better. Got a long way to go, uh, but I already got some guests lined up in 2024. So looking forward to it. Let's get to no, that. Yeah, go ahead, man. Go. Well, yeah. I, got, I got to a couple things. Uh, do you want to start with anything? How was your year? Talked about mine a little bit. How was your year? Is anything that uh, noteworthy? Anything you want to bring up before I get to my uh, agenda here, right in front of me? What happened in 2023 for Pat TVS? Well, yeah, I mean, so I. I am teaching in a smaller district, still kind of dealing with a lot of kids who are touched by poverty, uh, but we're also welcoming a fifth uh, girl into our family. So we got some big news over here. Um, and yeah, just excited to have uh, an outlet like like I've had on your podcast because, you know, life's been so wild for us that I haven't been able to run my podcast, Trickle Down Socialism, the way I did regularly for two and a half years before we ended it. So it's been cool to get to know you and kind of have this outlet as a, a space to talk about stuff that bubbles up as I read and listen to news, you know, almost whenever I have spare time. So that's like my obsession. Um, so I, I'd like to digest it uh, and, and kind of speak out about it when I get that shot. Likewise, any, uh, any stories, anything you want to bring up, any big news worthy stories, political stories, that you find noteworthy that you'd like to mention uh, in the year in review 2023? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, 2023 has been characterized for me as like kind of another glaring example of like the failure of corporatist democratic policies and strategy. Um, and, and within that, though, I've seen that we've kind of seen the left move outside of that, right? And move into direct action or especially union organizing. Um, and, and that energy for me as an observer and as a, as someone who reads a lot of media about it, um, I see a public opinion that's on the rise um, and, you know, a union movement that's ascendant at a time when we're seeing the democratic party fall flat on its face. And we'll get to that, but you know, it's an interesting kind of in and out push and pull um, that I've kind of noticed. And it, maybe it's because I take a much more cynical look at Democrats. And it's also because the looming fascism of red state, you know, governors and, and red state legislatures, the stuff they've accomplished um, to move towards fascism feels very frightening. Right. So it just feels like 
the only thing that we ostensibly have as an established party, as as anyone on the left, is a Democrat, you know, a Democratic Party that is so so thoroughly beholden to corporate interests, so as to like to completely forget the leftist roots that like built any type of solidarity among working class people with the Democratic Party or any, you know, any constituent of it. So it's like, it just feels hopeless on that electoralist level. Um, but at the same time, I see more energy from grassroots and, and uh, union organizing and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and and the, the the response to Palestine, you know, and, and, and what's going on in Gaza um, has actually been instructive for me and shown me that there's more solidarity on the left um, on stuff like uh, going against settler colonialism and standing up for innocent civilians who are getting killed. You know, that that's been giving me some hope too. So that's, that's where I'm at on, on my reaction to this year. Yeah. Um, a lot there for sure. Um, first thing that I, I want to mention, and you said democratic and corporations in the same breath. That's an oxymoron. Corporations are private tyrannies. They're unjust hierarchies, but unfortunately, the Democratic Party is beholden to corporate interests, which, of course, the Republicans are too. And, uh, you know, both of these parties, their um, platforms aren't much different than um, each other. They're very, very similar. There's some stuff in there about abortion. um, And, uh, I don't know, maybe... in, increasing taxes on, on the rich, but uh, sometimes it doesn't even feel like the Democrats are uh, in favor of that. So, um, speaking of um, speaking of the, the war in Gaza, let's get to that a little bit. That broke out October seventh with the uh, the attack, um, I guess, by Hamas on Israel, and uh, and since then it's been very one sided. Israel. Uh, carrying out ethnic cleansing so far. Uh, 18,000 Palestinians have been killed. Over 10,000 children have been killed. 80% of the seven, or I'm sorry, 2.3 million people uh, in, in Gaza uh, have been pushed from their homes. They're refugees. They've been displaced. Uh, Israel is carrying out war crimes. Too many, too many to mention. I've seen this floating, floating around on Twitter with videos. White phosphorus, which burns the, um, the flesh. Very hard to extinguish. I think these chemicals are produced, um, as I've seen, uh, in U.S. defense manufacturers and contractors. We're using our tax dollars to, to allow um, Israel to carry out ethnic cleansing. Uh, and the one thing, Israel is a highly militarized state. Uh, it's essentially a U.S. military outpost, so the U.S. can control the world's oil supply. Uh, and we're also Israel allows an opportunity to test new weapons technologies on live targets, the Palestinians who are unpeople, they don't have the right to even exist, they're an inconvenience, and of course Israel wants to take over all of the um, valuable properties, uh, Gaza and the real estate there, the West Bank, and expand settlements, which again we are paying for, and also a, um, looks like a $500 billion um, natural gas and oil reserve has been, I guess, found uh, just off the coast of Gaza, and I think they also have some big infrastructure plans there. So, obviously, there's a big bias towards pro-Israel uh, in the U.S. media, and then U.S. Congress, actually, even um, 
They strongly condemn and denounce the drastic rise of anti-Semitism in the United States. That was a vote uh, very recently that happened. Uh, I don't know if they had to have any uh, evidence or research to back up this drastic rise in anti-Semitism. But of course, being critical of Israel, the rogue state that they are, not even... Um, pretending to follow international law, is that's not anti-Semitism. You know, Israel, uh, I don't think a, a Jewish state should exist, just like I don't think a Christian state should exist, and I think it's okay to condemn or crit be critical, highly critical, of the ethnic cleansing and the crimes that Israel is carrying out. Uh, there's also, uh, I saw a House vote on... Um, a uh, representative uh, to censor Representative Rashid Tlaib. I don't know how to say her name. Hopefully that's not terrible butchering of her name. Uh, but I believe um, you know, they were condemning her Israel-Hamas rhetoric. Uh, and I believe she's also a Palestinian or from Gaza. So she has roots there. She has some skin in the game and whatnot. I don't think she said anything uh, radical or over the top. I think she just um, basically voiced her support of the Palestinians and their fight against settler colonialism. So, uh, that's kind of the way I see this conflict. Uh, it's not a war. It's very one-sided. Uh, Israel is carrying out massive amounts of violence, ethnic cleansing, and I think genocide. I don't think that would be too strongly to um, describe it. What say you about Israel, Gaza, Hamas, uh, Palestine, all the things that are going on there? Do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, just that it's frustrating. Like, to get back to the focus of your show and kind of Noam Chomsky and the way that he painted the the efforts of the U.S. media to prop up the U.S. hegemonic state, but also the U.S. war machine in particular, you know, it's just been striking to, to see the way that it's been framed. You know, even on, you know, programs that we consider you know, that not we, but like that are generally considered left in American media, like CNN and MSNBC. You know, MSNBC fired Mehdi Hassan, who was one of the few hosts who was willing to kind of tell the truth on what was happening. And, and just like the, the, the experiences of individual people in Gaza, like it's horrific. You know, it's, it's just, it's shocking to me that the world is, you know, and the world is looking on and demanding a ceasefire. And only the U.S., you know, and, and Israel and, and the U.K. as a lapdog has been kind of like stopping. Like, I, I keep like I saw thinking a of it. Today. I think it was 253 voted for a ceasefire, maybe two on the other side against it. Uh, this is a recent U.N. vote. So the world has spoken. They all want a ceasefire, but the U.S. and Israel does not. So the violence continues. No, so the the analogy that I came up with, the best way to explain it is it's like, you know, the U.S. is the sadistic teacher in the schoolyard who allows the student fight to go on for long enough for one kid to beat, you know, the piss out of another kid. Like, it's that kind of like the U.S. is just holding the world back when everyone wants to rush in and just provide aid and stop the fighting. Like, it's just so, like you said, one-sided and it's just shocking and saddening for me to see that. However, you know, and there's been a media blackout on this as well. But the movement for solidarity with Palestinians has been enormous. And that's been really, and it's been heartwarming to see just how active Jewish voices for peace have been in the U.S. Um, they've been really like, they've been, they shut down uh, Grand Central Station for a time. Uh, they were just arrested at the White House gates, just chaining themselves to the gates. But they're, they're just saying like, not in our name. Like, this is not, 
at all connected to Judaism. And it's not, right? You said it was a settler outpost. It is, you know, a U.S. at this stage, you know, since 1965 and since they started winning um, in that case, the U.S. jumped in and said, like, this is a project we can get behind, you know, to provide U.S. control in the region, just like you mentioned, right? So it's not deeply religious and it's certainly not anti-Semitic to, to point out you know, the overstepping of, of the Israeli state and just how genocidal this, this campaign has been. And you said aid, which has also very much been propagandized. Uh, the, or the United States gives aid, you know, what they, what they call aid to Israel, which essentially yeah. their aids are bombs, guns, resources for biological and chemical warfare, uh, planes, um, bombers. Yeah. Surveillance technology, yeah. Surveillance technology, helicopters. I don't believe Israel makes their own helicopters, so we provide them with Apache attack helicopters. Of course, uh, we name them uh, after our victims of uh, settler colonialism here, uh, as there was the genocide of the Native Americans, the Indians here, uh, and Chomsky because about this because the Apache. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead, man. Hit it. What? uh, Yeah. What? What? Uh, Chomsky makes the analogy is if uh, the Germans and Hitler would name his uh, helicopters after Jew and Gypsy, but that's what we do uh, with the Apache helicopters and the Blackhawk helicopters that we have. Uh, of course, after uh, the genocide of the Native Americans, making them our victims, now we name our uh, war machines after them. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I mean it is a, such a good analogy to draw too. Is also to look at the settler colonialist project in the U.S. and the shrinking of of native territory over time, and then to see that same thing just compressed, right? So like in at the turn of the century, it starts, but not until World War One, World War Two, do you really have like a strong Zionist nation being created? But then the shrinking of Palestinian lands, man, those maps look just like the U.S. map and, you know, just a continued pushing of natives out west into worse territory and, you know, the same type of deal. It's just, it's frustrating. Yeah, into little cantons, into little, um, you know, Indian reserves and that sort of thing. And that's essentially what the the Palestinians are being drove into. And not only that, that once they're they're driven into these pockets, these refugee camps, uh, Israel doesn't stop there. They target them as well. So, you know, these, these... the, the Palestinians, um, you know, they, they've been victimized for so long and continue to be so, and it's just a travesty. Let's move on to another conflict that continues on. There's no end in sight here. Uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, it's been going on now since uh, February 24th, 2022. Um, it's essentially this conflict is um, just a holdover from the Cold War, um, as, as, of course, when the Soviet Union collapsed, NATO continued to expand all the way up into the Russian border. Um, so I think this was a war of provocation. Of course, the United States uh, installed a coup uh, with a coup, I, sh- I should say, uh, a puppet regime in Ukraine. So finally, uh, you know, Russia invaded, attacked. So far, unfortunately, there's been uh, 27,000 casualties, civilian, uh, nearly 10,000 killed, another 17 and change injured there. So actually, um, less. Um, a, a lower rate than the casualties going on in Gaza, but still a lot of uh, Ukrainians victimized, unfortunately, by Putin and his war crimes, which I do not support. Uh, but I also don't, do not support the, uh, the, the, uh, the puppet government of Ukraine, which was voted the most corrupt government in Europe uh, prior to the invasion. 
Um, but unfortunately, the Korean citizens are being victimized and used as cannon fodder uh, in this proxy war, which again uh, seems to have no end in sight. There will be a world after uh, the conflict in Ukraine, hopefully, as long as it doesn't uh, go nuclear. So eventually there needs to be a reintegration of Russia back into the international system. Uh, I don't think that the uh, sanctions have been very effective and all the... Um, all the economic terrorism that uh, uh, Russia has been subjected um, because of the same things that, you know, they are doing in Ukraine, which the United States has done time and time again. Uh, for example, in Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, the examples uh, go on and on. Um, so, you know, obviously there's no, uh, the West and the United States is unprincipled. Uh, They're uh, hypocritical. Uh, but again, that's no excuse. Um, and I continue to condemn Putin and his war crimes, um, but again, this just seems like a proxy war to me. There's no end in sight, and at any point in time, uh, these are two of the most violent and capable nuclear powers in the world. This is a proxy war, uh, and if it escalates, it could end all of us. What say you about the war in Ukraine, the conflict there that continues to wage on? We're in year two now. Yeah, so I, I think one of the most instructive things that I've learned about it um, is to listen to the people who have been tasked with negotiating a settlement. Um, there was one negotiated settlement about a week after the conflict opened up. Um, and there've been other attempts by a number of different countries and negotiators sent in. And what they all say is that there's so much pressure from the U S and the UK to continue fighting, right? Like there's no interest of peace. There's no recognition of the Ukrainian men sent to war you know, dying. There's no recognition of, of people of Donetsk, right, who have been attacked by their government since that puppet regime was put in, as you mentioned. You know, there's no mention of the complexities, but it's just, it's it's really frustrating, like you say, to see it as a proxy war and understand it as such and see how it's just like really just helping the military contractors in the U.S. make more sales at the expense of how many lives in Ukraine. It's just yeah, I mean, the the point is, you know, one, it's such an inaccurate picture that we're given of what it is that we're supporting in the Ukraine, and, you know, in Ukraine, like, especially with, like, the actions of Zelensky's government and banning parties that are oppositional and anywhere near the left. Um, cheering, recently they cheered the death of a, a socialist leader who had been exiled to back to Moscow, um, you know, and it the New York times over the summer had a, a line where they were like talking about how the, the Nazi paraphernalia worn by certain soldiers in the Ukrainian defense forces. Um, the, the trouble with that Nazi imagery was that it gave fodder to the Russian propaganda machine, like to, to just completely miss the point that like the problem is they're Nazis and go to, Oh, it just helps. Putin's campaign. It's like, you're missing a step here, right? And you're missing the step of like, where are all these arms going? And how many Nazis are holding way more weapons right now than we ever would want them to because of our desire to feed our capitalist war machine, right? Like the, the connections and the, the potential devastation, just like any other capitalist decision, like on climate change and continuing to absolutely destroy the planet, is just driven by that profit motive, by that short-term motive for profit. No foresight, no concern for what the, the ramifications of these actions could be. And it's it's just so frustrating. Um, and also to see like 
people that might us might be our you know comrades to kind of like get fed and understanding like that Putin is a fascist and an awful person and just like a brutal authoritarian you know so it's not like there's any good side here but the but, point of but it and, and is like it's none of our business too about the the government of Russia like we should support the democratic party there and the and the people there we should support democratic change but we have no business uh in um getting involved in the overthrow of the Russian government or any government for that matter uh and uh, I, I sometimes think you know people think like oh it's you know, push Putin out of power, which again, we have no business in getting involved there, but it's definitely possible with the state of Russian politics that the person that takes over for Putin is even worse, even more violent, even more authoritarian. Uh, but I totally agree. I try not to comment too much on other um, countries' politics because we have such a messed up system here in the United States. But yeah, totally. Putin is a fascist. He's a war criminal. He's an authoritarian. He's a strong man. And he needs to be stopped. And hopefully the Russian people one day will overthrow Putin for a more democratically, um, you know, functioning society and, and a more democratic government instead of authoritarian top down leader and strongman like Vladimir Putin is. Uh, let me let me just yeah. say this here, too, before we maybe move on. And if you want to say anything else on this conflict, uh, but the U.S. power centers don't care about dead Ukrainian civilians any more than they care about dead uh, children in Gaza. The reason the United States is involved in the Russo-Ukrainian war is to weaken their most powerful military enemy and rival in Russia. So that's why we're involved there for strategic U.S. power interests. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the Ukrainian civilians, again, who are being used as cannon fodder in this proxy war between two of the world's um, most powerful and violent superpowers, militarily at least. Russia, not so much economically. Uh, China is a much bigger threat economically, but from from a military standpoint, uh, I think Russia is probably the second most powerful uh, military in the world. Um, but also, you know, we have to walk a fine line. You know, if you watch some of the mainstream media, uh, Russia has to be capable of, you know, taking over the world and, you know, they're a threat to the United States and the United States people. And, you know, um, they, they are maybe the worst, um, you know, threat we've ever seen since the collapse of the Soviet Union. But also, you know, they are pathetic and weak and they can't even conquer towns 20 miles from their border. So which is it, mainstream media? They're constantly going back and forth between Russia and their army is a joke to they are the biggest threat, uh, you know, since the Cuban Missile Crisis. But uh, anyways, I don't have too much more to say. I did a whole podcast on the war in Ukraine. Uh, I think it's a, a clear and evident proxy war. People in Europe um, are protest protesting it. They don't want to support this U.S. war, this NATO war. And I don't blame them. And hopefully peace uh, is, um, you know, an option sometime soon. Uh, diplomacy over a never-ending military conflict, that would be my uh, that would be my goal here. Uh, and again, uh, there will be a world um, that involves Russia reintegrated back into the international system. So the time now might be for diplomacy and peace talks instead of uh, continuing to kill more and more Ukrainian um, civilians for nothing. No, and I, th I think the explanation for the why the U.S. is involved is a good one. But I think it's also important to realize just how much this is driven by the capital, the, the interests of 
those uh, companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and all all of the the war, the exporters of death that we they have here in the United States. Look at their look at their stock portfolio for all the weapons right. manufacturers. So that, they I think that so, so not to be cynical, but I, that I, that I think is enough of a driver. You don't even need to jump into the geopolitical explanation that I think is correct. Right. I'm not saying it's incorrect, but it's also important to recognize just how powerful those corporate interests are and how disheartening that is. Right. That we've allowed and continued into and fed. Like, how do you bring about peace by pumping more weapons into a region that doesn't make any sense? Right. So that's not the aim. You know, it's just it's, it's tough. But why don't we move on to that next item? Because there are, I think. A couple that don't fit into this necessarily like yeah. super dupe super bleak doom and gloom you know two of the two of the quagmires that just show u.s hegemonic interests yeah. in the world <laughs> well speaking of the military industrial complex it continues to flex its muscle it's very economically powerful it dictates foreign policy uh the state of the u.s healthcare system did not change much in 2023 uh it is a complete failure it is a international scandal the healthcare system and i work in it uh it's privatized for profits uh it's essentially gift wrap for big pharma and um for the health insurance companies so no updates there it's still a mess How about to education uh joe biden uh promised on the campaign trail to cancel 10 then I saw $20,000 in student debt, then $50,000 in student debt. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to get any of it done. We have a student debt crisis in the United States, $2 trillion. I think it's up to now. Uh, and this happened in 2023 when the Supreme Court strikes down. Uh, this is June 30th, 2023. Struck down uh, Joe Biden's um, student debt plan. Biden used the HEROES Act during the pandemic. Unfortunately, there was a well-funded right-wing lawsuit. Uh, and I think a lot of the people in the left saw this coming a mile away. He could have used his authority over the Department of Education. I think that had a better chance of working. But unfortunately, he did not. Speaking of Biden and campaign promises, I think he also talked about uh, free community college and affordable college and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't think after day one in the White House, I heard about that again. So, uh, yeah, what say you about the state of education? We talked a little bit about briefly uh, in terms of cops in schools. What say you about the student debt debacle or the state of education in 2024? I already mentioned the healthcare system. Nothing more to mention there. It's a national scandal. It's a failure. It's a mess. What say you about education? No, I mean, I, my wife and I talk about these things all the time, you know, and we're lucky to have paid off most of our student stuff. We just have some of her in grad school that we're still paying on. But we both said, like, this is so, this is the exactly like the expected democratic approach. Like, the, the fact that he went at it so softly and tried to scoop out 10 grand for each person, like, come on, man, like, just go for it. If and it then, would work, he, though, he wouldn't have had a, any more carrots to dangle in 2024. Uh, so that's, that's the kind well, of, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, I, I just think there's a number of forces at play. Like the reason that student loan debt is not something that you can get wiped from your record if you default is because of a, a bill that Joe Biden was the lead sponsor of when he was in the Senate, right? Like none of these things are surprises to us. But my point is from a negotiating standpoint, you start off as far as you can. You don't just go in there like, oh, I'm just going to take this. You know, I think he went in with 20 grand and came out with 10. Go in with all of it. Like, what are you doing? There's no reason to not show people 
that you're willing to make the first pass at a negotiation going hard for people. It right? sounds like you're Unless, assuming Biden's on our side, though. It sounds no, like he's not. Like, exactly there's a reason. Right. He's not. No, and there's a reason I mentioned like his hand in the bill, you know, the student loan bill that it dictates that you can't have that wipe from your record, right? That this is like a real deal. You got to make savage payments. technique of class warfare. It was one of the yeah, ruthless things uh, in recent memory. I've tweeted about that before to essentially say, you know, unfortunately you can never wipe it clear. Even if you go bankrupt, guess what? It's still going to follow you. It's a lifetime debt trap just because you wanted an education, just because you wanted to better yourself. Yeah. Sorry. Well, and we sold education. We still do as like the only thing you can do. Like there's talk of like, you know, a, a, a regular college degree now is like a high school diploma was 20 years ago and all this stuff. So it's like, degree you can't even really, I talk about you can't even, you can't even participate in your, in your field of study or your interests or in, in any real meaningful way, unless you can do that. And that's just unattainable. And it's ridiculous that the government can't step in and say like, this is actually going to provide a break on the economy. Like it doesn't matter how Keynesian or wherever you want to come at it from an economic standpoint, you're just, you're just slowing, you're throttling your own economy by not helping people tackle this in a way that makes sense. It's just, it's bad social policy. It's bad for building a future for the country. Yeah. Like anyone who wants to claim they're a patriot and then they look at this and they say, it's okay. That's bullshit, right? You're not talking about actually making a country that's better. What are you talking about? It has nothing to do with economic reasons. Every other country in the world is able to provide free or nearly free college. The reason that we don't have it in the United States is for purposes of class warfare. It limits choice of students. It essentially um, forces you uh, into a life of obedience and subservience. If you're 100000 plus in debt, pretty much you're left with no choice. You can't get involved in activism or travel or maybe work on your passion project. you got to get a job with a corporation more than likely, enter the capitalist system, and before long, you are hooked. So, again, it's not reasons of economics. Um, it's essentially reasons of class warfare and power. So, speaking of the uh, aforementioned Supreme Court striking down Biden's student um, loan plan, a very bad year for um, – the Supreme Court, uh, their uh, corruption is um, right in the public headlines. Um, I'll just read a couple here. Uh, I found a timeline here. Uh, let's see here. Um, the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas, this, the, his scandal is unprecedented. Um, essentially, let's see, yeah, so a vote, a vote to 8 to 1 to uh, essentially block congressional uh, investigation of Trump. Um he, let's see, um, where else here? Okay, for Clarence Thomas, for two decades, Thomas has accepted luxury trips virtually every year from a Dallas businessman without disclosing them. Documents and interviews um, show, let's see, this billionaire, uh, Harlan Crow bought property from Clarence Thomas that he did not disclose. Um, the details were over $1,000. Thomas never disclosed it. Um, let's see, Judge Alito took, um, let's see, monthly trips, financial interests. Um, let's see here, tuition at boarding schools, private boarding schools. Um, let's see, I mean, it's just, it's just a number of stories. Rolling Stone, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times here, um, several lawyers who have business with the Supreme Court and to successfully argued um, race-conscious admissions at universities, paid money directly to top aide in Clarence Thomas 
uh, in his Venmo transactions. Uh, just his, his opinion piece says it spell it just smells bad. The corruption is undeniable. New York Times here. Um, let's see here. Um, where else are we? Let's see. I, I had a couple more things written down. Um, obviously, the, the Roe v. Wade, that was struck down in 2022. Uh, obviously, a lot of right-wing lawsuits, well-funded. Um, the Supreme Court, it's at a 41% approval right now. All-time low is 40%. Um, yeah, just go ahead and talk about maybe the Supreme Court. Not a great year. Judge Alito and Clarence Thomas uh, were mentioned directly in some of these articles I've been pulling on the uh, corruption there, but I think it's all out in the open. I read another article uh, about, I think, eight of nine uh, justices in the last couple of years have taken trips, vacations, uh, fancy dinners, um, resorts, uh, destinations, all that sort of thing uh, in the last couple of years. So uh, they're trying to, I guess, set some sort of um, anti-corruption Policies there, but I think too little, too late. What say you about the Supreme Court? Not a very good year for them. They're very close to an all-time low for United States approval. Um, what say you about them? No, I mean I think they they set themselves up with the Roe v. Wade decision to be very unpopular, um, very fast. But also, I think it's important to look at like you know Citizens United, which is the decision that's allowed these types of uh, super PACs and other forms of political donations to go basically, you know, basically corruption legalized. But there's this guy named Leonard Leo who, you know, raised funds like a $1.6 billion super PAC he set up years ago. And he's been picking the conservative justices based on their, like their pliability to the far right, you know, ideology. And it's like, this guy's basically like decided on and picked and paid for each of the justices like Kavanaugh and, you know, all, all the recent appointees. And it's, it's just like, you can't even try to stand up and say this system is working, right? You can't, there's so many things wrong here. The Clarence justice that, I mean, the Clarence Thomas stuff, obviously, but like it, it, the whole system, it's just, it's, it's silly. Once you start to allow for the buying of, you know, laws like we've talked about corporations that write laws and hand them to lawmakers who then pass the those laws yeah, verbatim. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like then you have a guy, one guy who raises enough money from conservative donors to, to basically pick our justices. Like this is ridiculous. And they, they are hand picked by elites, you know, Mitch McConnell, there's a good, uh, uh, PBS documentary about, uh, Mitch McConnell and his entire career trying to pack, uh, the courts, and he's done an excellent job. Unfortunately, he's not on my side, uh, but he, for, for political purposes, uh, if if you're watching what he's done, it's been pretty impressive, uh, packing the courts with right-wing judges, getting uh, judges with, um, you know, Republican ideology. I won't say conservatives. Republican Party is not a, a conservative party. It's a reactionary, radical, statist party. Um, here's more, let's see, billionaire Harlan Crow also bankrolled GOP lawmakers, Blocking SCOTUS ethics reforms. Uh, that was in Common Dreams, May 9th, 2023. Uh, ProPublica. Justice Samuel Alito took a luxury fishing vacation with GOP billionaire who later had cases before the court. And CitizensUnited.org story here. Um, essentially, let's say, it says eight of nine justices reported 
taking 34 trips at the expense of private groups, including universities, legal groups, and ideologically focused groups. So basically everyone involved. Uh, I spoke about the Supreme Court approval, which is 41%, uh, one point above their lowest ever, while Congress approval rating right now uh, is sitting at uh, 13% in a a recent Gallup poll, the the, (laughs) the lowest since 2017. So trust in American public institutions at or near all-time lows not looking very good, uh, which is also funny because um, the rate incumbents win elections in the United States. It's like 97%, high 90s. So essentially, uh, you have Congress at or near all-time lows, but yet incumbents win (laughs) elections at an insanely high rate. And that just shows us that um, choices are not being presented. Uh, When incumbents win at such a high rate uh, and, and and approval ratings are low, it's essentially saying that, uh, you know, we're not having many options here. So we might as well just, you know, vote who's ever in there. You know, people like Mitch McConnell or Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, who spent uh, an entire career uh, in Washington, although they are despised by most of the population. It's unfortunate. That's because we not live in a democratically functioning society. Uh, we might have some democratic forms but it's not real democracy. Uh, we have a, essentially an oligarchy, don't take my word for it, Princeton University in 2014, essentially called the United States government an oligarchy, government by the rich, for the rich. It's not a true uh, democracy. And in fact, it never started out that way. If you go back to the Constitutional Congress uh, and James Madison, he said that government should be to protect the opulent minority from the majority, and that's the kind of government they put in place, the Founding Fathers, and that's still the same kind of government they have today. Uh, at the time, Congress, I think the senators, they were appointed. They were not elected. Um, now they are, so that's a good thing. Demo- uh, Democracy has been expanded. Women can vote. Black people can vote. That's a good thing. But for some reason, um, the Supreme Court, they are still handpicked by elites for lifetime terms even though it's completely partisan, it's you know steeped in ideology and um, you know politics, but we're for some reason supposed to uh, think that these um, technocrats, which they are, are objective and they're not biased, and it's just ridiculous. I want to expand the Supreme Court, and I want term limits for members of the Supreme Court, uh, and I think they should also be elected. They should not be. Um, they should not be handpicked. Yeah, I mean, that, that assumes that our elections are fairly run and fairly influenced, right? So that's, but yeah, I mean, these are all aspirational ideas, and I think it's important to think about them. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, even the reason they have lifetime appointments was because it was aimed to be an anti corruption measure, because, you know, the system you have in a lot of other places, our sheriffs and, and judges run for their seats, and so they have to campaign. So they're on the, you know, the political campaign stump. And in American politics, that's not a recipe for clean living, right? Like if you're if you're trying to win your seat, no matter how often, if six, every six years, whatever, like you're gonna you're gonna come in contact with the same types of people we're now seeing. They're already in contact with, right? But you just don't. Right. The the original the original aim was keep them away from that process of trying to run for office, but. You know, that assumes a whole lot. And, that, yeah, you make good points about it. It won't solve everything, but I like the idea of more democracy. Let's vote on some stuff. But I agree. Well, I mean, sure you look at the, well. the, Roe v, the Roe v. Wade decision. is so far divorced from 
American public opinion at this stage. People are shocked and horrified. And like there's a grain in between policies and American public opinion, unfortunately, in this country. Well, and it's like I was out with a buddy and someone I respect, you know, his political thinking. And I was talking about how I think Biden doesn't stand a chance. Right. Like, I think the line from Trump, you know, regardless of how much he believes this is like, let's pull our money out of Ukraine. Why are we spending money in Ukraine? I've said that's that's a winning political line since we got involved. Right. But it's you know, it's. It, it could be enough of an issue. My buddy was like, you know, the Roe v. Wade thing is going to turn people out like we haven't seen um, for such an unpopular president, right? Like he didn't, he makes no pains to defend. That, that's Biden. the only thing they're banking on. That's only, that's the only right. ace in the hole that the Democrats have because, uh, you know, there's not much else to be excited about the Biden 2024 campaign. At least I don't see it. Let's table the 2024 campaign stuff a little bit longer. Uh, let's go to inflation here. It's actually down, down um, the 3.1%. Uh, looking at some of these polls and some of these numbers here, 2022 was 6.5%, 2021, uh, 7%. So really high numbers. It looks like it's finally, finally coming down. A cost of living crisis. Uh, our dollars are not stretched as far as they used to be 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the middle class is dying. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely seeing, um, you know, a lot of people struggling right now. Um, but it's a good thing, I guess, it's finally starting to come down a little bit. But some of these numbers here, um, I think they're kind of uh, manipulated to look better than they actually are. Uh, it feels a lot higher than 3.1% to me. Um, but, yeah, certainly down from 7% in 2021 and 6.5% uh, in 2022. you have anything to say about the cost of living crisis that we continue to live through right now? As our dollars are, you know, more and more purchasing power are limited because of, you know, a number of reasons, and maybe we can get into it. Um, but essentially, you know, these central uh, – I'm doing a podcast on it. I'm still researching. But the central bank, which is privately owned, is just pumping – trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy. It's essentially a Ponzi scheme, and the central bank is privately owned. It's deceptively named the U.S. Federal Reserve, although it has nothing to do. It's not in the government sphere of interest or influence, I should say. Um, but, yeah, there, this is a deep, deep problem. Uh, I'm more so focused on the cost of living pr crisis that, unfortunately, a lot of American people are struggling right now. And at the same time, um, you know, Biden is very much aware of this um, Crisis that we're living through, and one of the reasons, I guess, class warfare purposes, because it has nothing to do with economics, turned on um, student loan payments. So some of these people are, you know, I included, are paying hundreds, if not maybe thousands of dollars a month, uh, when the average American can't even afford a four hundred dollar emergency expense. So um, yeah, just just not good. And I think over sixty percent of the population are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so that sounds like a great time to turn on the student loan payments. Uh, again, anyways, the Biden administration, I'm no fan of them, but I guess I would prefer them over whatever the Republican comes out of this mess. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly no fan no, of Biden's policies. What it, about the cost of the crisis? So? It's a huge mistake of, of Democrats to try to continue with this rosy picture of the U.S. economy when in reality, you know, it's become so heavily stratified that that normal indicators like, you know, gross domestic products or whatever they whatever they might use to, to explain that our economy is, is, is in good shape, you know, it just doesn't touch what people's experiences are. And I think that's missing an opportunity. Um, and, you know, it, it's really, 
it's it's bad out there. Like the like you say, with student loan payments going back on, that's going to provide even more pressure, right? But the inflationary forces that that are dropping in certain respects and maybe even in a lot of cases, just no, no longer rising at the rate they were rising before, right? That doesn't really affect people's lives on the day to day. And, you know, the housing crisis is, is getting so out of control and the homelessness that people are experiencing. Because Jeff Bezos is starting up a private corporation to buy a, uh, a single family real estate. Did you see that? 500 billion, uh, 500 million or $500 billion investment? Hey, 500 million. $500 million investment for a corporation to essentially buy up single family homes, which is only going to rise the uh, cost of houses in this country, which is already astronomical. Did you see that story in the last week or two? Yeah, I mean, it's it's unsustainable, right? It's unsustainable what it costs anybody to rent any kind of apartment in any kind of city right now. Like, it's just not, you can't do it, right? You And, and especially to expect kids who have taken out student loans to then go and buy a house or to pay for their house, like you, you, you know, you alluded to, and like mortgage rates are making it so that families, if they want to, individuals want to buy a house, like take out a, a mortgage today, the amount they're going to pay, you know, as compared to someone who took out a loan, you know, even 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, the, the amount they pay on that loan is, is so much less. It's, it's crazy. Right. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see who can capitalize on it. Cause like Trump is going to spin this bullshit. Like he can hearken back to the days when <laughs> supposedly his policies. He's you know, a good created. bullshit spinner. You're right. Yeah. He's yeah. He's, he's unfortunately really good at it. And I, I think people discount how much it impacts the way that people view him, that he had a TV show for 10 years, right. Where he was scripted in as this business genius who was tough you know, who was kind of funny and kind of charming. Who was tough, you know, but fair, you know, <laughs> well, but, but dude, like that, that's where we are with the American electorate, right? Like that's where people form their opinions. It's like through seeing someone on TV over and over again. And so that's what we're up against when he says stuff that's completely divorced from reality and divorced from his record and just not at all living in any place of like, this is what he's going to do as policy. You know, he's taking pot shots and he does that so well from the outside. It's just, it's scary. So I, I, yeah. hey, I we're going to get back to it. We're going to, we, we have 10 more minutes here, a couple more stories and we're going to get to the election record. Profits, I see that as record stolen wages, record inflation, greedflation. The, the politicians are trying to spin the Biden economy, Bidenomics. Uh, they talk about jobs, 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 which is bullshit. You can't talk about jobs without mentioning that, uh, wages, real wages have not kept up with inflation for decades. We're essentially, not much better off than we were in the late 70s, where essentially most workers or most working people in the United States have been on a treadmill to nowhere um, in the last uh, 50 or so years. The trickle down is still not coming, came to us. Um, it's it's not good. Neoliberalism well, is strong is as strong as ever. Yeah, that's, that's where it started was with, with Reagan and, and those guys around him. So there's no surprise there that wages are where they are as so, compared to the 1970s. But go ahead. Here's a story from January 2023. The Biden administration approved 6,430 permits for oil and gas drilling on public lands in the first two years, outpacing Trump's 6,172 permit approvals in his first two years. So Biden not doing much for the climate crisis. Anything to add there? Well, so, I mean, 
one thing I talk about with my wife a lot about Biden's mentality is to like look at his age and to compare him to like our parents and how they view the world and how they view things like that, right? Like I would I would guess that Biden and the people around him making decisions like that are looking at it the way that they looked at the the gas crisis, you know, in the eighties, um, no, in the seventies, in the eighties. Holy crap! Why am I mixing that up? Uh, in the seventies. Um, in the gas crisis and how much that affected Americans, right? Where they were lining up on days, odd versus even days and filling just what they could. And it was really a, a huge, huge impact on the, the entire civilian population and the military. Like everybody was ground to a halt by this gas shortage, right? And I think that Biden, when coming out of the pandemic and the people around him, the strategists say like, Go ahead. And also there's always the influence of lobbyists, right? Who are pushing, regardless of party, it doesn't matter who, which party has control. Those, those lobbyists are going to be in the room making comments about what should be done. And this, you just can't make a case for any new drilling right now. Like you can't make a case for not doing everything within our power to switch to as renewable of a, a source of energy as possible in every instance, right? Like it does, there's no way to make a case for not stopping every goddamn thing we're doing and thinking about its impact and if there's a better way to do it, right? That's where we are with the climate crisis. And just to see some old fucking dude who does not have any skin in the game because, you know, who knows how much longer he's got on earth and who cares when he's got fuck you money from being in the Senate for so long. Like it just, it's so, it's so wild to think that like our quote unquote left party is like, yeah, here, just go ahead and drill here and here and don't worry about it. Like, and we'll, we'll make sure we get that pipeline fixed up for you and we'll push those, those water protesters off. And it's just, you know, you can't make a case for it. And he does a good job talking about climate change uh, in speeches, I think, kind of his approach. The rhetoric is there, yeah. but the policies are not. Pat TDS yeah. dropping some F-bombs. He's getting heated, folks. Uh, let's go to the government shutdown. Uh, the government sh- <laughs> the government shutdown, that's a Republican policy. Uh, they've left the realm of parliamentary politics. The Republicans are some rea- reactionary statists. Um, they all vote uh, essentially uh, together on issue after issue. Uh, they'd rather render the U.S. government ungovernable than to have a successful democratic institution uh, as Congress and let it run and let the majority rule and all that kind of stuff. They'd rather be obstructionists. They'd rather be the party of no. So unfortunately, the the government shutdown was close to happening twice in 2023. Both times it was averted. But unfortunately, the government will only remain open uh, until sometime in January um, 2024. Um, so who, who knows? This problem is going to happen. Uh, it's coming down the road here pretty soon. Again, uh, other countries around the world are laughing at us. No other country in the world has this circus where the one party just tries to shut down government as their as their policy. Uh, it's just complete nonsense. Um, anything to say about uh, you know? Again, 17 percent approval rating, Congress. Uh, what 17% approval rating says to me is 17% of Americans need a thorough uh, psychological evaluation. What, what is wrong with the people that approve of Congress and how they are uh, running them, running their whatever, their government or their business? Um, 
Anything to say about uh, Congress generally or the government shutdown or the Republican Party? Because that's all I see out of it is just nonsense. It's a circus. Yeah, I mean, a circus is the right word, right? It's political theater. It's so incredibly ridiculous. And the fact that Democrats kind of play ball with it. Play ball. I don't, fu- really do. I, I don't fully understand because it's it's nonsensical, right? It's like... It's like telling people that like he's just not gonna do it. No one's gonna shut down the government. Like for like for real. Like, come on, let's be real here. It's just not gonna happen. So it's political theater and it's it also relies on the settler mindset, like right, like the pioneer mindset that that supposedly founded the country, but this like ridiculous belief that you're somehow an island and that like without the government in place that you're gonna do just fine. Like it's that it's that kind of like right-wing ideology that fuels it of saying like oh we'll just shut it down and it'll be fine like it's just you know it's, it's childish and it's it's political theater and it's like you said it, it makes us look absolutely ridiculous to the world but but if we're not looking ridiculous we're like actually involved in you know single-handedly shutting down left-wing movements that are democratically elected in countries so like so like ridiculous is one thing when nefarious is the other, you know, it's, it's wild. So, um, Kevin McCarthy was outed, um, ousted, uh, motion filed by Matt Gates is the first time, uh, a house speaker was ever ousted. Um, let's see. Uh, he said, uh, McCarthy, some parting shots here. I don't believe them to be conservatives. Uh, he says that they want to burn it down. Um, Kevin McCarthy recently, I think he's, pretty much moderate, kind of like a Romney Republican, I guess, slightly right-leaning, I mean, similar to Biden, I think, in Obama. Um, and then when you look at the Democrats, they actually look like America. When I look at my party, we look like the most restricted country club in America. So some pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty, no mincing of words here for Kevin McCarthy. And who did, uh, who, who replaced him? Mike Johnson. Uh, uh, he's a lunatic, right-wing lunatic, a representative of Louisiana, he advocated for sodomy laws, criminalizing homosexuality, the punishment for consensual adult non-procreative sex. He's a religious extremist, a far-right radical. Uh, he says he's defending religious freedom. That's complete nonsense. He opposes same-sex marriages. He's an evangelical who takes the Bible literally. Uh, he blamed school shootings on abortion. Um, let's see, he questions anthropogenic climate change, saying that maybe climate change is happening, but I don't think people have anything to do with it. Uh, it's just a liberal hoax, all at the same time taking $338,000 of campaign uh, donations from big oil. Uh, he also opposed raises in minimum wage. Uh, he's in favor of prayer in schools. And he supported the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which just sounds like a terrible thing. <laughs> I'm sure that's more trickle-down tax cuts for the rich. Uh, that was just in the five minutes or so I researched this lunatic. Anything to say about the, the lunatic who's now the Speaker of the House right now? And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the Democrats all voted to oust Kevin McCarthy. But uh, we get this guy who's, what? one or two deaths away from sitting in the White House. So I don't know why the Democrats were so much in favor of ousting, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who didn't, doesn't, who seems like a uh, left-wing radical compared to this Mike Johnson character. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't see the whole point. And while the Democrats were in favor of it, I guess they just wanted the Republicans to look bad for a couple of days as they struggled to get uh, someone in, in power. But, of course, the right-wing 
um, center or the right wing of the, which is now, I guess, the center of the Republican Party. They flexed their muscles and they got the right guy for the job who seems to be in alignment with uh, their ideologies generally. I guess, you know, the right wing people who are seemingly control of the party now. What say you about uh, the Speaker of the House stuff, the shenanigans that went on? No, I mean, it's, it's terrifying, right, to think of someone who holds those beliefs and espouses those beliefs without shame um, in the public sphere and, and got elected on on those talking points, right? Like, that's just terrifying stuff. It's, it's not good for anybody to hear those positions, right? And then to know that that's supported by enough people to keep him in office. And, and, and he's also, not too know. far from the White House, the most powerful state right. in U.S. government. Hey, we got uh, 30 seconds to go. We didn't really talk about the 2024 election or the Trump indictments. Do you want to come back for 10 more minutes or do you want to catch up in January and do that stuff then? I think a lot of that stuff is wait and see. I think you and I hold similar positions as like, like let's see. It. We'll believe it when we see it, right, yeah. with someone that rich, whether or not he's going to actually – you know, end up suffering consequences, but happy new year, man. It's uh, been good to get to know you and I will be super pumped to get, catch you on the flip side. Happy new year. We'll catch up in 2024. Adios. Thank you for listening to necessary illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Pat TDS for helping me recap 2023 a year in review. That's going to be a wrap on my first season of Necessary Illusions. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. Thanks for all the support. No gods, no masters. I'm out. See you in 2024.